Welcome to the Condo Vultures Podcast. I'm Peter Zaluski, the host. This is our Real Estate Players Profile. This is where I do a one-on-one conversation or an interview with someone who's in the real estate industry who uh, offers some very interesting insight as well as some uh, intelligence, if you will, uh, actionable intelligence to help you, the listener, understand what's coming down the pike. Uh, whether you are a professional working in real estate or you're an investor or you're thinking about investing. So for this particular podcast, and it's podcast number 57, I do a one-on-one conversation with uh, a banker who's uh, been in the industry for over 22 years. He rose up from working at Washington Mutual Bank, if you guys can remember that. He did a stint at Bank Atlantic, another name from the past, Wachovia Bank. He worked there as well. Ultimately, um, he is at Centennial Bank. It's an Arkansas bank institution, but what he does is he oversees the Tri-County South Florida area. So he's a division president of the Southeast Florida, and um, his name is J.C. De Onya. Uh, basically, the branch that he oversees is uh, about $2.5 billion uh, in assets or so, about 200 employees. And overall, the institution is uh, pushing $17 billion with uh, based in Arkansas, but has locations in uh, Florida, uh, obviously, Arkansas, Alabama, and New York. So, uh, what are we going to talk about this particular podcast? We're going to talk about the lending and the underwriting and what the climate is and whether or not bankers are willing to put money on the street. I mean, you know, single family houses are booming, but uh, condos, not so much. Hotels, uh, you know, boy, you hate to have a, ho- a loan on a hotel. Or worse yet, I have to pay back a loan on a hotel. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about land. Uh, Maybe some people are looking for land loans. Uh, We will talk about spec housing. Um, uh, That's where somebody goes ahead, they buy a piece of dirt, and they decide they're going to build a a house on their own with the speculation they're going to be able to sell to some would-be buyer. So there's a lot to discuss, and uh, J.C. Deonia is going to sort of walk us through um, what's going on right now. What's the real-time pulse of uh, financing in South Florida related to real estate as we speak. So if you are not yet a subscriber to Condo Vultures, um, uh, the Condo Vultures podcast, I'd encourage you to go ahead and do so wherever you get your podcast. If you like what we're doing, give us a rating, uh, write some comments. Uh, that'll just help us to spread the message. And then finally, if you do have any comments for us, you have any questions, any criticisms, any critiques, please feel free to send an email to inquire at condovultures.com. That's I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. So fasten that seatbelt, lean back, and get ready to learn all about the current state of financing in South Florida real estate. Are you a primary user or real estate investor who's in the market for a discounted South Florida condo? Are you searching in the markets of greater downtown Miami, Miami Beach, north to Sunny Isles Beach, Hollywood, north to Fort Lauderdale, or anywhere else east of I-95 in the Tri-County, South Florida region? If so, the buyer brokers at Condo Vultures Realty are here to assist you. Condo Vultures Realty is a licensed Florida brokerage that was established in 2006 to assist educated buyers in identifying, negotiating, and purchasing units at a discounted price. To speak with a buyer broker at Condo Vultures Realty, please call 305 865 5859 or visit our website condovulturesrealty.com. Welcome back to the Condo Vultures podcast. This is I'm your host Peter Zaluski. This is going to be a very interesting conversation with a banker. Now, before you decide you're not going to listen to the podcast, I want you to get an idea. I'm talking to somebody who's actually born and raised in Miami. He's been on the ground doing banking for 20 30 years. And basically, he's going to give us the lowdown of what's really going on in the uh, real estate market. Residential primarily is what we'll focus on, but we're also going to get into some of the different uh, divisions of business that they do. Who is this I'm talking about? I'm talking about J.C. De Onya. 
He is the division president for Southeast Florida, which is Miami, Dade, Broward, Palm Beach counties, and he works for Centennial Bank. Now, before Centennial, JC was working at a whole variety of banks, including if you're a longtime South Floridian, you'd recognize the name Bank Atlantic. He also worked, actually worked at Wachovia Bank, Regions Bank, and then more recently, Stonegate Bank, which was a very successful bank that was ultimately acquired by Centennial, and that's how JC got there. JC, how's it going? It's going well. Thank you, Peter. Nice. Hey, let me ask you, um, uh, did I pronounce your surname correctly, De Onya? Is that, is that correct? Yeah, that is, right. that is absolutely correct. All right. I'm originally from Chicago. Uh, English is my, uh, I'd say my only language, although I can, I can get by in some Spanish. So uh, a lot of times I, I, I try to get it right, but most of the times, um, you know, I'm not smart enough <laughs> to pronounce it correctly. So just that disclaimer. <laughs> Now, 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 JC, just to lay out the rules of engagement so you know and the audience yeah. knows, um, uh, we look for straight talk and salty language is permissible. Now, you're a proper banker. Okay. Chances are you're not going to curse. But if I drop, uh, you know, if I swear a little bit, uh, I, I hope you don't get offended. That's fine. You know, being from Miami, it's just welcome. <laughs> yeah, you should have heard me after the Heat blew uh, game six against the L.A. Lakers. Uh, yeah, that was tough. That was yeah, tough. very tough. Now, 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 JC, what, what I'd like to do, and so the audience is aware, I want to do three 20-minute segments with you. First 20 minutes, we're going to talk about you, and then we're going to talk about Centennial Bank in general. Second 20 minutes, we're going to go ahead and talk about what the current state of the market is and how you guys are doing your lending. And then the final 20 minutes, it will become the difficult part, because I'm going to ask you to predict the future, and no banker likes to predict the future, because they're always cautiously mm. optimistic. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm a, I'm a half – uh, glass half full type guy, so I'll probably be more optimistic than most. Perfect, perfect, perfect. That sounds great. First question I always like to open up with uh, everybody is uh, how did you get to Miami? But I know you were born and raised there, so you're actually what I would call a unicorn because you're one of the few. I don't know what the status somewhere like one in five, one in six people live in Florida. We're actually born and raised here. Uh, can, can you tell me a little bit about um, you know how how the family got to uh, got to Miami? Because nobody seems to ever be born here. It always seems to be you know somehow come from some other place. Yeah, you know, you learn more and more over the years uh, that I, I am, I guess, becoming more of a rare uh, breed here in Miami that's actually born and, and raised and living here and raising a family now here. So my my family originally is from Cuba, so they uh, okay. came over, um, and uh, yeah, I was born and raised here, went to you know school here, went to the university here, went to FIU, did my undergrad and, and my MBA at FIU, um, started working in banking uh, way back uh, with Washington Mutual. Washington so Mutual. Yeah, yeah. I think, that, I think they were the inventor of the free checking account. Yeah, so, I remember yeah. that. Wow, Washington Mutual. That's a wow. Yeah. That, that's totally a name from the past. Now, now let me ask you. Did you always want to be a banker, or did you sort of you were looking for a gig? You got into banking while you're going through school, and lo and behold, you sort of grew into this position. How, how did that come about? Yeah, you know, I was uh, I was in college, and and a friend of mine, I was looking to see if I you know get into some job experience. A friend of mine introduced me to uh, possible opportunity with Washington Mutual. It was a, mm -hmm. a teller position, so started as a teller there. That was in 1998. So nice. Yeah, yeah, that was the first gig. So, yeah, started as a teller there, and uh, you know, went into the you know the platform, uh, which you know, opening accounts and customer service as well while I was there, and uh, decided I liked it. So, um, banking kind of 
became the career from there while I was, you know, studying finance at FIU. Oh, interesting. Anybody in your family, um, uh, any of them bankers? My my dad was in banking many years back, so I guess, you know, the 80s in banking. Um, so he, he was around and then left banking, but yeah, but didn't get into it because of him. It just got into it because I kind of fell into it and I liked it. Um, and I, you know, when I was starting in banking, I also saw, you know, the uh, dot-com boom going on and I got really excited with all these uh, investment bankers that were making all this money and uh, mm -hmm. I found it very interesting and intriguing. So I, I definitely liked the, you know, the financial advisor aspect of it as well. Um, so, you know, banking just became of interest to me. I liked the way it, uh, how it wasn't so involved with, you know, local economics and all that. So, um, and it just, it played well with studying finance at FIU. Yeah, I'm sure. Now, 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 let me ask you. And, and, and um, granted, the Florida Marlins, or excuse me, the Miami Marlins are not good. But are you a baseball fan? <laughs> I, I am. I am. You are. Okay. I so remember going, one of the things. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, yeah. Since I was little, I mean, I, I played baseball my whole life. So, I mean, growing up, going to you know see the Yankees here at Fort Lauderdale Stadium with my dad, and um, yeah, grew up a Marlins fan. Went to the first Marlins game ever, you know, in Joe Robbie Stadium. Yep. So. Yep. Yeah. Well, you, you know, I, I used to write about banking. I, I was a journalist. I did for 13 years. And then after that, I was a columnist and stuff. But while I was a banker, or while I was a reporter, I wrote about banking. So I made it a point to go out and try to reach uh, or meet all of the, uh, the bankers of the local-based uh, organizations. And what I, what, I, what I found out is that bankers love baseball. And my theory is, is because of all the stats and the ratios. Now, everybody knows uh, statistics yeah. and analytics now, but back then it wasn't necessarily a thing uh, kind of like yeah. the way it is now and how it kind of drives sports. So yeah. I always made that Money. connection. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, yeah. you're sitting in the stands and you're running probabilities. Yeah, it's very interesting. Very yeah, interesting. yeah, yeah. Interesting. So so after Washington Mutual, how did how, you get to uh, Bank Atlantic? And the only reason I want to bring up Bank Atlantic is I think that's a name that people would sort of recognize. Um, many of them would, you know, with fond memories before ultimately the Great Recession led to some uh, real challenges over there. Yeah, yeah. So um, I got an opportunity to go to Bank Atlantic, and I um, I went over, and I was more on the operational side. So um, it got me a little bit of a different aspect of of the retail side of banking. So I got an operational side, and basically was you know retail branch management eventually. Um, and it was uh, it was an office actually in South Miami, which was very interesting to me. And I was a young guy at the time, and um, still learning a lot about banking, still going to school. And you know it was interesting because I I, uh, I got exposed to uh, the uh, world of uh, banking for athletes. So I started working with uh, several athletes um, that were out of the University of Miami. Um, so it was nice. it was cool being it was cool being young and and being involved and and actually helping a lot of these guys that were coming out of UM and getting you know, NFL contracts with, you know, the Drew Rosenhaus of the world and all that. So it was, it was a very interesting time for me there. I'm sure. Um, and my recollection of Bank Atlantic, at least back in the day, is uh, they were open on Saturdays and I think Sundays. They had extended hours. And if you brought in change, they didn't charge a VIG like they do with the grocery stores <laughs> where they take 10% of whatever you, you basically are converting from coins into, into, into bills. Yeah. It, you know what? I, 
it was I always thought it was crazy um mm-hmm. that that they that they did that and I was I was I've always been a bit vocal and I think I was a young guy and I told them I don't think this is going to work and they looked at me like I was insane uh <laughs> just cuz I I just didn't see it. I didn't see how a bank was going to be more profitable open 24 hours a day. You have more costs. And I, I remember telling them, so you're telling me that the guy that w- would come and close a loan before 5 p.m. now is going to come at midnight? I mean, it just didn't make sense to me. Um, yeah. I mean, ultimately, it didn't really work. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it was it was a, a big thing because it kind of made a splash down here in South Florida. Yeah. Oh no, 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 for sure. And ultimately, I think they got acquired. Who, 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 who was the suitor? Like Fifth Third or something? Once uh, uh, bank, uh, it was uh, BB and T ended up buying. Yeah. BB and T. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That yeah. that was back there in the Great Recession where it seemed to be a bank failure every Friday. It was always like on Friday yeah. afternoon you'd wonder, okay, who's getting shut down today? Yeah, yeah. Not 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 a fun time for bankers. That's for sure. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, uh, not to go too much down memory lane, but also you, you worked at Wachovia. Uh, Wachovia today is uh, what? what uh, did Wells buy them? I, I can't even see well, that. Was- it's Wells Fargo, yeah. You know, Wachovia, you know, I have some of my fondest memories in banking at Wachovia because I was kind of like, you know, it, business was booming in South Florida. Um, I actually got into private banking while I was there, um, and that kind of all spawned from you know, dealing with athletes, um, went to Wachovia and, you know, quite frankly, I was kicking ass while I was there and got the opportunity nice. to go into private banking and uh, jumped all over it. And it was a, a great experience, exposure to, you know, some of the most affluent people in South Florida and working with them. Uh, the team at Wachovia was great. I mean, you know, you got a lot of, you know, banking all-stars that were there at the time, you know, some good mentors, people to, to be around and to learn from, and uh, it was just, it was a good time. I mean, I think Wachovia was a great bank uh, during those years. Yeah, 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 yeah. Then you had a stint at Regions before ultimately you ended up at Stonegate Bank. Um, Yeah, yeah. uh, You know, we we, we were talking before we began this podcast uh, uh, that I remember when Stonegate was first getting created in Florida. And anybody who doesn't really know, sort of understand the way banking works, and I'll keep it real simple, at least my best of my understanding, and you can sort of fill in the blanks, uh, JC, if you want. But basically, in order to yeah. come into Florida, uh, a lot of times what organizations will do for, that are from out of state, because Centennial is based out of Arkansas, what they'll do is they'll come in and they'll buy a footprint, and they'll buy all the branches, they'll buy all the bankers, all the accounts, the clients. That seems to be the most effective way, because the other way is to go de novo. We have to basically set up an organization and grow grassroots, and a lot of banks, you know, they don't sort of have the time and the effort. So Stonegate Bank was based out of Fort Lauderdale, and um, yeah. very successful, and ultimately sold out to um, to Centennial. Yeah, yeah, and that was, I mean, Dave Seleski was the one who uh, started Stonegate, and, and a quick little thing on Stonegate, you know, I was at Regions at the time, and I was in wealth management, and I was, you know, handling a pretty hefty portfolio of players down here, and, uh, you know, I remember calling people saying, hey, I'm going to go to Stonegate. And at that time, I had uh, gotten an offer to run a private banking office in Miami. And I decided to go to this little known bank that wasn't even in Dade County. I remember calling people saying, hey, I'm going to this bank, Stonegate. Nobody's ever heard of it. They're $500 million in assets. <laughs> I had some clients that were worth as much as, as the bank. And they just thought I was crazy. Uh, but, you know, we opened the office here in Miami. And we we grew it. And we did a really good job with it. And as you can see, we grew it to about $3 billion in assets, and then Centennial came on and, and uh, bought us out. So it was a, it was a great run at, at Stonegate. 
Wow, wow, wow. Fantastic story. And what, what, what's Dave up to now? Dave is still on our board. So okay. uh, Dave, uh, yeah, he, he stayed he stayed on for about a year after the acquisition, then moved on to the board. You know, I, I laugh with him. He's kind of like semi-retired. But, you know, he's great to have on the board because he knows South Florida very well. And, yes. you know, when, when you're with a bank with Arkansas, not everybody knows the market as well. Not everybody on the board knows the market as well. So it's good to have somebody on the board that, you know, started a bank in Florida and, and knows it very well. And so then who better to have uh, run Miami-Dade County than you? Because you're born and raised here. So you did that for two yeah. years, and then uh, you, you got a promotion in January. They put you ahead of all of, uh, uh, ahead of, all of the southeast, which, again, is Miami-Dade, Broward, Palm Beach counties. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, stayed on board, was heading uh, Dade County, and then, uh, you know, good old boys from Arkansas took a liking to me, gave me the opportunity to take over the southeast, and uh, that's what, what, what I've been doing. That's fantastic. And real briefly, uh, from, from what it looks like, uh, Centennial Bank has about $16.9 billion in assets, about $13.3 billion in deposits. And yeah. uh, the, uh, the, the entity you oversee, Miami-Dade, Broward, Palm Beach County, you're looking at about $2.5 billion in assets, $2.5 billion in liabilities, and you've got about 200 people or so that you're overseeing. Would, would that be yeah. uh, ballpark, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good ballpark. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Now, um, so, so I guess the next question is um, somebody who maybe doesn't know Centennial. Maybe they're in Miami. Mm -hmm. You know, you got a few uh, operations up here or, uh, in Miami. How would you define Centennial, and how does it sort of differentiate itself uh, from the others? Keeping in mind, our listener tends to be a real estate savvy, and they tend to be investors. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I mean, we're Centennial's a, a community bank that's grown a bit bigger than you know the typical community bank that people think of, right? So a lot of people mm -hmm. think of a community bank. It's a bank that's let's say based out of Miami, has offices in Miami, you know, maybe has some in Broward and grew that way. Um, you know, we're talking about a bank like you said is you know almost 17 billion in assets, and we're in multiple states, which is uh, Arkansas, Alabama, Florida primarily. Um, so we we are still considered a community bank because we're not a regional or anything like that or, or a national yep. bank. So um, we we provide a level of service that you typically see from a community bank where you know you know your customer, you know somebody calls in, they're actually speaking to a human being, um, things like that. We but we have the firepower of a large bank, right? So yeah, you you got a local developer, um, you know, and a lot of guys grow too big for maybe a small bank or can only do one deal or limited capacity. Well, now you're, you know, you're dealing with a bank where, you know, you've got room to grow and room to get deals done. Um, so, you know, I think that's one of the biggest thing that differentiates us that we, we can compete um, for, for a lot of business um, yet we can provide the level of service that, you know, the larger banks are just not able to give. Got it, got it, got it. And then in terms of, uh, you know, your specialty from a lending perspective, what's, what's sort of the sweet spot? And I realize you'll dabble everywhere, especially you'll probably follow the client, whatever they're kind of looking for. But, but do you guys have like a niche that you really focus on? Um, we do a little bit of everything. Um, so, but I would say as of recent, what we've done a lot of has been construction. Um, we've done a lot of multifamily construction. We've done a lot of single family home construction. We've done a lot of uh, kind of bridge type of lending where somebody's buying a property and rezoning it or increasing density or, you know, adding value some way, somehow. Um, you know, we, again, we, we have a full residential uh, division. So we do all residential mortgages, secondary market portfolio, um, but we do everything else. We've done self storage in office and, you know, we've done hotels. Hotels is kind of taboo, you know, 
today. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. You know, we've done a little bit of everything. Boat, you know, the toys, you know, the boats, the planes, things like that. So um, pretty diverse in what we do. Got it. Got it. Now, now, what, one last question about the bank um, before I get into the real questions. <laughs> the question I want to ask you about the bank is it looks like you guys are just under 180 locations throughout uh, your entire mm -hmm. footprint, which is what? It's yeah. um, it's Arkansas, Alabama. you got one location up in uh, New York. You're in Florida, yeah. and, uh, and that would be it, correct? Yeah, we have an office in New York, uh, one in Dallas, and one in L.A., uh, which is – they're loan production offices. Got it, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. Okay, okay. And then in Florida, it looks like there's, uh, what, 88 or so, 90, 80, yeah. somewhere right in there? Yeah, we got and, yeah, 80, something, yeah. Now, 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 the reason I bring that up is that Florida, if you're down here, sometimes as the market changes, so does uh, the business. So I, I'm, I've seen a lot of developers, they'll start in Miami, market changes in Miami, they go to Broward, then next thing you know, they're hightailing it up to Orlando or Tampa. So based on your footprint, it at least seems like you guys are all over the, uh, the state of Florida. Yeah, we've got, I mean, great coverage in Florida. I mean, we've got eight offices in the Keys. So, you know, I have people that call me all the time and say, you guys are everywhere in the Keys. There's only one street, right, down to Key West, and we're, you know, you're going to see us eight times. Um, the only <laughs> the only area in Florida we don't uh, have any offices in or presence in is, like, northeast Florida, like Jacksonville, but we, we do business there anyways, so. Got it, got it, got it, got it. Okay, okay. Now, a little bit more about yourself, and before we sort of take a commercial break, because we're already coming up to the end of the first segment, the most important question, um, you like media noche, or are you a, uh, a Cuban sandwich guy? <laughs> I, guess it, I guess it depends, you know. I, you know what? I might be more of a media noche guy, or maybe a little <laughs> Everybody tells me media noche. What, what, one guy told me he likes the media noche because it tends to be smaller. And he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to eat too much. What? What? what why do you prefer the Medianocha, which is on street you know, I like the Cuban sandwich. Exactly. I like the the sweet. The you know the combination of the sweet and the salty. So, it, I think okay. it goes well together. Now, now obviously we're in the midst of a pandemic, but um, uh, we're going to get through it, and a lot of restaurants are still going to be standing. Um, uh, people who are listening to this podcast next time, uh, you know. Uh, they're looking for a place to go. What, what would you recommend? Is there one go-to in terms of value, uh, food, you know, all of the above that uh, would you would recommend to maybe uh, one of our listeners who might be coming from Hong Kong or they might be coming from Buenos Aires or they might be coming from Toronto or Tel Aviv or anywhere else? God, there's just so many places in Miami. You know, growing up in Miami, I've seen the change that you, you we've seen as a city and you know, it's amazing how far we've expanded when it comes to culinary and, and all the options, the food options and amazing restaurants that we have here. I mean, you really can't go wrong. It's just really the type of food you're looking for, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it all depends. But we, it's just Miami's become such a great city for food. I mean. Got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. Okay, well, um, uh, you, there's not one, like your birthday dinner, you get to go somewhere, uh, uh, you know, your family wants to take you. Yeah, you know, there, there's staples in Miami, you know, if you're looking for steak, you know, Prime 112, you hear the name always, you know, always full of celebrities yeah. and all that. So Prime 112 is great. Um, you know, places like uh, Il Gaviano, if you want Italian there uh, in downtown, beautiful view. That's fantastic. Gaviano yeah, is fantastic. Yeah. It, it is. I totally it agree. You got, you got Zuma and Novikov on that same street, which are two great options as well. So, mm, nice. Yeah, nice. And if you want so, the Cuban, um, you can go over to uh, Havana Harry's there in Lejeune in Coral Gables. Havana Harry's. Funny story. A buddy of mine, his wife, um, the family owns that. And, and yeah, supposedly, 
supposedly the best thing on the menu is the imperial rice. The imperial rice, fantastic. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. They they have a, a one called like the three cows or something like that. I mean, it's it literally you're eating three cows. I mean, it's such a huge <laughs> meal. So there we go, Havana Harry's. You know, somebody else actually mentioned Havana Harry's uh, uh, that I did on a previous podcast. So, yeah. um, uh, JC, why don't we go ahead and we take a commercial break. On the other side of the break, I want to get a little bit into the marketplace and what you're kind of seeing. So um, uh, uh, stay tuned, and we'll catch up with you on the other side. Don't buy a South Florida condo, discounted or distressed, before taking a Condo Vultures correction tour. CondoVultures.com offers weekly bus and walking tours that focus on educating buyers on the how-tos of identifying discounted condos, analyzing the opportunities, and purchasing units. Every tour attendee receives a list of all condo projects in a particular market, a market assessment handout, and unmatched expert analysis. For more information on the condo correction tours, please visit condovultures.eventbrite.com or call 305-865-5859. Welcome back to the Kind of Vultures podcast. I'm your host, Peter Zalewski. I'm having a conversation with J.C. De Onya. He's a division president of Southeast Florida for Centennial Bank. Uh, we were just talking a little bit about, uh, about J.C.'s background and ultimately what, uh, uh, what the bank is and how they sort of got to South Florida. J.C., I guess the uh, first question I have for you is um, residential real estate. Uh, you, you guys, you dabble in residential real estate in terms of your lending. You, do you work both on the construction side as well as the mortgage side? Or can you give the audience just a little under uh, understanding of, uh, you know, what, what exactly you guys are doing residential real estate related? Yeah, yeah. Um, we're doing a lot of residential. Even today, it's probably the strongest part of the bank when you look at what assets we're doing. So on the residential side, you know, we have a full residential division, which does, you know, secondary market type of stuff, which, you know, you're typical buying a home and you want a 30-year fixed mortgage. Um, we do uh, portfolio loans as well. So those that, you know, maybe don't meet the, the matrix of all the required uh, you know, it gets check check boxes a check for a a typical uh, mortgage. We do the portfolio, which we're a little bit more lenient on how we use income and and things like that. Um, we do the construction, the perm on the residential side as well. So somebody who's bought a lot and they're gonna build their their home, you know, we do the construction side and then it flips over to your your regular permanent loan. Um, we also do. Uh, construction lending for, let's say, a developer that's doing a spec home, which has become extremely hot again now in today's market in South Florida. Somebody who's doing track homes, um, you know, single family townhomes are much more uh, sought after right now. Uh, we do a lot of multifamily as well, so rental. Um, we do rental properties. Um, we've done a lot of multifamily over the last few years. Um, that seems to be doing very well in South Florida, and I don't see that stopping. And we do, you know, a second home, so a little bit of everything. Got it, got it, got it. Now, 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 I want, I want to start off with the residential, the, the real simple stuff. Let's sort of go up. Um, you, you were talking about portfolio type of loans. Uh, generally speaking, and please correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm just going to try to explain it to the audience. But basically, there's a number. I think that number is five hundred fifteen thousand dollars. Where if JC's Bank were to go ahead and provide financing, they had the ability, assuming it met all the criteria, to go ahead and sell that loan uh, to Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, and then JC's uh, Bank would basically uh, uh, would would manage it. Would, would that be correct, JC? 
That's 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 correct. So those are loans that we're not going to keep on our portfolio. They meet all the yep. requirements for like Fannie and Freddie, and then we go ahead and we sell them in what we call the secondary market, and you know those loans are gone, and that's why a lot of people they close on a on a mortgage, let's say with you know X bank, and then you know six months later they they get their statement and it's another bank which is now their new servicer or whatnot. So um, that's that's that secondary market that that we're discussing. But but you guys are willing to do a loan. Is it, is the number five fifteen? Is, is is that the number? I'm, mortgage is not my thing. Is five fifteen the cutoff yeah, for the Fannie Mae type convention? It's five five ten or five twelve today. I forgot the exact number. It changes in some markets are slightly different. Okay okay. Now now what you also do, and this might be an opportunity for some of some of the listeners, is you're willing to do a loan that's over and above that, and then you'll do what's called portfolio, where you're actually going to keep the loan yourself. And you're not going to turn around and sell it to somebody else. How, how exactly Correct. does that work? And what, what what do you look for in terms of somebody who might be approaching you for a portfolio type of loan related to residential real estate? Yeah. So you know the conforming, which are your smaller loans we just talked about under the 510 number. Anything over over that is going to be a jumbo. However, so in our portfolio, we will do both. So even if it's conforming, it's a smaller loan, and you know for whatever reason it doesn't meet all the parameters for one reason or another. Um, you know, we've had all kinds of different reasons. An issue with something where it has to do where there's two folios in one or, you know, the income was erratic or, you know, a lot of people down here in South Florida don't like to pay taxes. So, you know, their income, you know, is not, is not going to mean, it's not going to meet exactly what they require. Um, but mostly what we do on the portfolio side are going to be jumbo loans and, and the jumbo loans become even more complicated because that's when people pay even less taxes and, you know, it's uh, <laughs> their income can be erratic, their income can be inconsistent, but, you know, up and down, you can have huge swings. Um, the other reason is, you know, there there's limitations on, on the jumbo loans for, for some banks and secondary markets. So some cap out at a million, some cap out at two million, some cap out at three million. We don't really have a cap. So, you know, we can do a loan for, a, you know, a house on the beach for $5 million or $10 million and keep it as, as a portfolio loan. Um, but again, yeah. the portfolio is just those that aren't, they're going to need a, you know, a little bit more of a, I'm not going to say a brain because it takes a brain, but just a little bit more outside the box and thinking and being a little bit more creative to make it work. And, and that's where the firepower comes from that you're referring to the 16.9 billion in assets. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, the ability that we have to do, you know, the larger residential mortgages um, definitely helps, especially also on the, we've seen a lot of construction. A lot of people have, decided to to stay home or build a new home or build what what I like to call now the uh the uh the the home to stay in now in a pandemic, you know? Um That's so for sure. you know the quarantine home. Uh we saw a lot of people, you know, expanding homes, building home gyms, you know, redoing the the pool and you know, cabana and all that stuff. So that's been very uh very popular these days. Okay, now now generally speaking, um, uh, for somebody who wants one of these jumbo mortgages, again, it's over five ten, uh, that where where your bank might uh, per, uh, consider uh, portfolioing it. What, what what kind of down payment do they need, and um, uh, what what are typically are like the ballpark terms in terms of the length and maybe any kind of interest rate? And I realize every situation is different, but generally speaking, just to give the audience an idea. Yeah, I mean. As far as down payments, um, you're always going to see a minimum of 20% when it comes to some, you know, jumbo loans like that. So 20% is going to be the the down payment. Um, you know, our our portfolio loans they're amortized over 30 years, but you're going to have an arm. So 
your rate's going to be fixed, let's say, for five years. After year five, it will adjust annually. Um, so a lot of people get confused and they hear that they're going to have a five-year term and that it's going to go away or five-year arm is going to go away. It's not. You know, your loan is for 30 years except the the rate is fixed for five years. And the reason why we as a bank do that and most banks that do the portfolio loans is, you know, we don't want to take on that interest rate risk for us. So if, if rates, you know, if we're going to, uh, we don't want a, a you know, three or four percent you know, mortgage on our books for 30 years. You know, if rates go up, then we have all these low, low cost. That's what the secondary market's for. So for us, you know, we want to, you know, we'll give the five-year rate. Um, a lot of times people end up, end up taking us out after the five years or, or maybe at one point, you know, they pay taxes and can qualify for a, a mortgage and take us out or something like that. But yeah, it's, and the rates are going to be on our portfolio are going to be in the fours. In the fours. Okay. Okay. Now, now, uh, one more question, sort of related to that. Sure. Um, uh, obviously, somebody's going in and they're they're putting down twenty percent minimum uh, deposit. Uh, you know, chances yeah. they got some cash around, they got some savviness to them. Uh, I'm wondering, um, is there personal recourse on these portfolio loans, uh, or can maybe somebody buy it in a corporation? And lo and behold, the asset stands for itself. Uh, uh, and I'm assuming if that's the case, then they probably need a bigger down payment. So, any anything you might be able to tell the listener uh, just about that? Yeah, I mean, on a residential mortgage, I mean, you're it, it's you're the borrower on there, you know. At the end of the day, um, if you're going to go to an LLC borrower, then then that goes into being a commercial loan. And with all okay. the the uh, regulations now regarding you know residential lending and consumer lending and all that, it, if it's if it's a one thing is I have a title under an LLC. Uh, the other thing is I have mm -hmm. a borrower be an LLC. So uh, two two different things. Got it, got it, got it. Okay, that makes um, that makes all the sense of the world. And then, and then, final question about the residential. Um, our audience is all over the world. South Florida is very diverse. If you look at it, I think Census Bureau says Miami-Dade County is 52% foreign-born. Um, could could you just address uh, somebody who maybe isn't a citizen of the United States? How challenging, if at all, um, is it to go ahead and get a, um, a residential mortgage? Yeah. So it's become challenging. Um, there were a lot more options before. Uh, you don't see as many now. We do it, um, you know, typically. And, and foreigners, you know, it's not. It's funny because I think us in the U.S. we're used to high leverage. You know, typically foreigners, you know, they want to do 50%. So and typically yeah. that's where we're at with with these loans to you know foreign nationals. We're around 50%. Um, so I always tell for foreigners, if they're going to come by, I mean, be prepared to put down 50%. And, you know, you're, you have limited options, but there are options out there. Got it, got it, got it. Now, now in terms of uh, on the lending side, what, what what are you guys seeing in terms of single family, I guess, to, to begin with, in terms of the appraisals? Um, uh, are, 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 how are the appraisals holding up for single family uh, uh, thus far, very, as well as the purchase very, prices? Very, very well. I mean, you know, it, it's, the pandemic has actually had an opposite effect on residential to, let's say, you know, a hotel, you know, um, Florida has become, and people are always coming to Florida, but uh, people are seeing more so and more so the value now. And, and with a lot of people coming from the Northeast that are just moving here, um, a lot of the inventory that was around is gone. So the, the residential appraisals have gone up. Um, you know, we have some, track home builders that do master plan communities and selling these single family homes and their pricing is going up. Um, really? So, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the single family home townhomes that has held real, real well. 
um, and has trend, been trending upwards. So there's not a whole lot of inventory. Um, so, you know, funny enough is several years back, I, you know, we did a lot with Stonegate. We did a lot of uh, spec homes and luxury spec, spec homes as well. Uh, and we, you know, I decided to pull back because I saw there was too much inventory. You know, people were buying, let's say, in areas like Pinecrest, buying these one-acre lots, splitting them, and building two beautiful homes, which was fantastic, but there was too many of those being built. So we kind of, you know, we hedged and we stopped. Well, we, you know, we started lending again to spec homes because there's a huge demand for it. So Now, now and, and, uh, and to clarify for the audience, a spec home is basically a developer is going to build on the speculation that they have the ability to sell it. So they don't have a buyer waiting in the wings. But they're putting their own cash up and they're going through the process. And JC's uh, bank is going uh, going there hand in hand and helping that developer to build with the expectation and hope that it's going to sell. Would, would that be a correct um, uh, description? Correct. Uh, very accurate. Okay. Now, now if somebody is listening and they are a spec home developer, um, uh, what what can you sort of tell them in terms of uh, what what kind of conditions uh, they'd be looking at? Maybe, maybe they're going to own some lots. Uh, they want to do some infill development. Um, do you have any message for them? Yeah. I you know. There's not a whole lot of land right now, especially in, in places like Miami-Dade County, Corridor County. You know, in Broward, there used to be a lot more. It's going away. Palm Beach, same thing. Um, but, yeah, there's there's definitely a demand for, for a single-family home, townhome product as well. Um, so if there is land out there, definitely it's attractive to build and go vertical now. I would say as far as a, you know, equity in the property um, and, and – I like to be clear when I say equity, it's, you know, land cost, you know, soft cost, hard cost. So total cost of a property, you want to probably have, you know, 35% of it in there. Um, and, and again, that's kind of across the board. You're going to see most banks want to see that much equity. It may be enough equity that you have in the land alone because it's so valuable now. Um, yeah. Or maybe, you know, a lot of times it's they purchased the land and they, they went through the process to get everything approved. So with, the land purchase and the soft costs, you know, the bank can fund 100% of vertical, let's say. So it's very attractive wow, wow. right now. Interesting. Now, now, what I'm wondering is if it's attractive is condominiums, high-rises. Um, yeah. Obviously, we've got a pandemic. Everybody's trying to get some distance, hence the, uh, the movement towards single family as well as townhouses. What are you seeing on the condo side um, in terms of the, the activity that people come into you and say, hey, listen, I want to get a, a mortgage because I want to go ahead and buy a condo in a 500-unit tower that's 57 yeah. stories tall? Uh, and also, too, what about pricing from an appraisal perspective? Anything you might be able to mention about that? Yeah, so we're definitely seeing a lot more on the single-family home and townhome sector. So, you know, and not to say that the condos are not doing well. Some of them are. Some of them not as well. I, there was a lot of condos that were bought pre-construction years back that they went on the market, you know, earlier this year, let's say, and, and people were selling them and they were losing money basically in certain, certain areas. But, you know, I'm seeing, mm -hmm. I'm seeing condos that are continuing to go up. I'm seeing condo sales kind of ticked up a bit. So I, I would say I'm, I'm more optimistic on the single family homes and, and, and townhomes than I am on, on the condo market um, just because of just, pure supply and, and just the fact that I think people have realized the value of having a home and not being with, you know, a thousand other people in a building um, and sharing yeah. common amenities and all that. I think that, that there's a value today that's pushed people towards more so the, the single family homes in the townhome. 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. Now, 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 what about um, what what about rental uh, rental communities? Yeah. Obviously, your bank does um, you do financing yeah. and construction of rentals as well as you, mm-hmm. you provide financing uh, once the the, yeah. the building's actually completed. Could can you talk a little mm-hmm. bit about that uh, and maybe how that's changed, if at all? Yeah, no, the rental market has remained very strong. Um, what we're seeing more so in the rental market, um, you know, we've seen an uptick in kind of a townhome communities where people are actually building okay. townhomes as rental. Um, oh. We've continued to see, yeah, we've continued to see the uh, garden style, um, which is, you know, three-story kind of, uh, you know, product, and the mid-rises as well, which is like eight stories. Um, you know, we, we don't really get too much into the high-rise rental. Um, okay. You know, I, I'm more comfortable with, your garden style to mid-rise, you know, and in certain markets. But the overall, the rental market has remained very, very strong. Um, even through the pandemic, you know, talking to a lot of our clients that, that uh, you know, uh, that own properties, manage them, and their collection rates didn't really change much. So, you know, that was, you know, also, you know there was a factor, too, where there was some stimulus money, which helped. Um, but even after that has to exist, the collection rates still remain very, very strong. So vacancies are very low. Uh, lease ups have remained to stay strong. Uh, you know, I, I follow up with a lot of our construction projects and a lot of our, of our developers. And, you know, some of them recently that have built and completed, uh, let's say, a mid-rise of 300 units, and they are mm-hmm. leasing up very well. So the rental market still remains very strong. And again, and it's just, it's, it's a lot of numbers, right? With the with the amount of people that continue to move to Florida, um, you know that rental market maintains itself uh, very strong. Got it, got it, got it. Now, now, is there is there any part of the rental game that maybe you said, um, you know, maybe that's not uh, doesn't work for us for at Centennial? Like you mentioned, the high rise rentals. Um, uh, uh, we're, we're, what's the cutoff? Like like how many stories or what kind of density? Uh, when you guys say, well, man, you know, that's not really our sweet spot. Yeah, after eight stories or so, which is mid-rise, I mean, it's just it starts getting a little tricky. Your construction costs change and all that. So, you know, the other thing is, you know, a lot of times people will buy a property and and they'll the the project can get very lean. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, we we look at this and we stress. You know, rates are very low right now, so we we stress test things and look to see how they would perform if rates went up. And, you know, we make a lot of decisions based on that. I I think post-COVID, we underwrite a little bit differently, um, taking into consideration some new things we've learned. Uh, We always stress test on rates and and, uh, rental percentages and all that. So, you know, that's always a a key factor, whether we decide to proceed with a project or not. Got it, got it, got it. Um, and then I guess my, my last question for this segment is um, I'm wondering, um, and I've been through a few real estate cycles. I got here in 1993, and I've sort of seen it. And typically what, what I see when you go through a cycle, at least on the vertical side, is that you get a lot of people coming in who maybe have never built here before. They get very optimistic. They think, uh, you know, this is the gateway to Latin America. Everything goes up and up and up. Uh, you know, the trees are going to go to space type of scenario. And they end up buying dirt <laughs> because they think they want to build. Um, yeah. uh, what, what would you tell a developer maybe who has some dirt or maybe an investor who bought some dirt here, they thought they were going to put a high rise on it, which was geared towards, you know, over that eight stories you're talking about, maybe something, you know, in the teens or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 stories. Uh, what, what would you sort of tell them uh, in terms of about going forward and how readily available uh, would be financing uh, uh, pertaining to mm-hmm. dirt land uh, for future development, probably next cycle? 
Yeah, so and when you say what just land to hold the uh, land for the next cycle? Yeah, just, I mean, you know, there, there, there's examples I can point to in greater downtown Miami, especially probably less so in Broward. Uh, but like that downtown mm-hmm. Miami, somebody comes in out of Brazil, they buy a piece of dirt. It's a, you know, they can put up potentially 50-story tower with 300 units on there. And they're basically sitting on it, hoping they can joint venture with someone who's actually got the experience of building there. You know, it's sort of that play. And now, lo and behold, they never JV'd with someone because they wanted too much. And now the market's sort of done what it's done. Um, any kind of prognosis for somebody maybe in a situation like that? Well, you know, if I what I tell people, if you can hold, you know, hold, um, is everything cyclical. When when all the the inventory yep. that's coming online now uh, gets bought up, and it will, because it's Miami, right? You know, I, yep. I remember walking outside of the American Airlines Arena, you know, in 2009, and looking at all these. Uh, condos that were built and they were completely at night with no lights on and I'm like wow I mean they're gonna have to this all up housing or something and they all yep. got you know bought up so everything's cyclical so you know if you can hold because you didn't find the right JV then don't be afraid to hold um, if you get the right offer to sell you know then you know maybe you want to sell it you know there, there's options there's definitely options but I wouldn't be afraid to hold something you know there's people that I know that you know, own multiple parcels, they JV'd on one or, you know, they, they went vertical yeah. on one, with, you know, and they're holding another one and they'll say, eh, I'll, I'll wait till next cycle and see what goes on. You, you know, again, Miami is always going to be attractive and it's been a haven for safety for so many years. And I don't think that's stopping anytime soon. Yeah. And then just to follow up to that before we take our commercial break. So, so if somebody is in that situation, they say, you know what, I want to hold, but I want to put some debt on it or I want to finance it. Is that something you might, uh, your organization might uh, contemplate? Say, say it's, a, it's a marquee type of location, maybe not waterfront, but say it's right there, you know, uh, around the AAA, the American Airlines Arena, and, and they have some dirt. Um, is, is that something you might consider? And if so, what kind of, um, you know, equity would they have to have into it for a landlord? Yeah, we- yeah, we've looked at it. We've looked at these deals, and and we've gotten comfortable with some of them. A lot of it's going to depend depend on, you know, the the sponsors behind it. Um, they're going to yeah. have to put up, you know, reserves on the on the loan itself. You know, have a have an account with you know loan payments for let's say for two years, let's say. Um, and I'm just giving an example of one we looked at recently. Yeah. yeah, we'll give you two years. You know, go ahead and put the payments for two years. It's low leverage. You know, I would say you're, you, we're never going to be more more than 50% leverage on something like that, and, and we might be less. Um, so, you know, and, and typically if somebody's owned it for a long time, they may be well below uh, that that dollar amount. So we, we've definitely looked at it. We'll entertain it. Um, if it makes sense, again, it's, it's, it's a lot of times a way for a bank to start a relationship too. So, you know, yeah. somebody that needs to be advised and, and say, hey, listen, we're, we're willing to do something for you. And, you know, especially if somebody has a dirt in downtown Miami, they're probably going to be pretty affluent. Um, and they, yeah. there may be some other business there to do in the meantime. So uh, definitely. Perfect, perfect. So, JC, why don't we go ahead and we take a commercial break. On the other side, we're going to sort of talk about the, the future. So you listen to Cattle Vultures podcast. Stay tuned. We'll catch you on the other side. Challenging times for real estate calls for experts that help you to navigate the new normal in the process of buying or selling property in South Florida. At CBR Realty, we listen carefully and advise based on stats, local knowledge, and experience. For more information, call us at 305-865-5859 or visit our website, cbrrealty.com. Welcome back to the Condo Vultures Podcast. I'm Peter Saluska having a conversation with JC De Onya. He is the um, president of the Southeast Division for 
Centennial Bank, which is Dave Barr, Palm Beach County. Did I get it right? That's correct. Correct. Yeah. All right. Nice, nice, nice. So, so, uh, so, JC, you're uh, the the part that you oversee as part of Centennial, and again, it's about what sixteen point nine billion dollars overall. But the part you oversee has about two hundred employees or so. Here we are in the middle of October. We're getting uh, ready to begin two thousand twenty-one. Uh, we don't know who the president is. We still are technically in hurricane season. We don't know what's going on with the pandemic. And you have to come up with a budget. So what I'm wondering is, going into 2021, what the hell are you thinking, and how are you making sense of this, and where is your – are you optimistic? Are you bearish? Are you are you pessimistic? Can, can, can you sort of share with the audience kind of what you, as somebody yeah. who's uh, you know, heading an organization out here, what you're thinking for 2021? Yeah, you know – in March, you know, we just March, April, we didn't know what was going to, I mean, it, everybody was thinking it's the end of the world, right? Like what's going on here? Yeah. You know, here we go again. It's, you know, we're going to be worse than the great recession that we had. So we didn't really know. And I think as the months have passed, we've gotten a better, you know, understanding of what we were dealing with. Right. Um, so as a bank, um, you know, we've, we've actually been pretty busy to believe it or not, since, you know, over the summer and, and even till today, um, it's it's been pretty busy. Um, I, I laugh because I, I say everybody bought a boat this summer because uh, we did a lot yeah. of boat financing. But uh, I don't know what's going to happen next year. But, you know, on the residential side, it's been very strong, you know, especially here in South Florida. I mean, I can't speak for, you know, there, there's going to be some other parts of the U.S. that are going to be hurting. And, it, you know, um, and, and we all got to understand that. But, you know, South Florida, um, I, I just us as a net net winner at the end of this uh when it when we look at how our economy is going to do you know the just the the population growth expected i mean people got to have a place to live people are going to buy stuff people got to eat so we i you know i think we saw the worst of it for the most part you know i we will see some you know some some blood in the water if you want to call it that um you know possibly maybe later on at the end of the year the beginning of the year um more you know the asset class i'm most concerned about are hotels uh mm-hmm. but you know hotels will hotels will be back you know i tell people people are going to travel again right people are going to get people i already talked to people that they're getting on planes again so people are going to get on planes again people are going to stay in hotels again and you know people i mean as soon as restaurants open to 50 percent capacity guess what capacity the restaurants were running at 50 percent <laughs> you know restaurants yep. now yep. are yep. Full, fully open guess what the restaurants are packed again so you know yep. people are going to go out i think for the most part, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty bullish on on South Florida and what we're gonna see, uh, you know, for this fourth quarter and next year. You know, it's hard. You know, nobody has a crystal ball, um, but it's hard to say exactly. But I think overall, I'm 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 optimistic on the real estate market down here, um, and, and pretty much you know across the board. Um, and listen, we've got great weather, we've got you know favorable taxes. Um, you yep. know, whatever the outcome is in November, uh, I think, you know, we're, we're going to be okay here. Now, now, now talk about hospitality, talking about hotels. I mean, we'll, yeah. not to get into particular clients, but generally speaking, yeah. how, how are you working with somebody who maybe has a loan for a hotel or hospitality base yeah. and, yeah. you know, the cruise lines still aren't open. What, what, uh, you know, what, what exactly do you do if you're the lender? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, as far as hotels go, and we have, you know, clients with hotels, you know, throughout our footprint, um, yep. you know, some hotels actually did pretty well uh, over some of these summer months, especially on, like, let's say, the west coast of Florida and, 
and you know down on in the keys and and i think it's a lot of people from you know uh, people that live in south florida were traveling to the west coast of florida because they figured there was less cases over there and they can actually go and enjoy the beach with their families same thing with the keys so you had a lot of people traveling within the state um you know miami you know they we depend a lot on on the foreign foreign nationals coming and and you know coming and, and spending time at the beaches here and that hasn't fully come back yet as you know um but you know going to the hotels uh they struggled they struggled more than than any other asset class you know restaurants as well but um we worked with them uh we gave them deferments we gave them payment deferrals to help them you know weather the storm so a lot of these went on, you know, 90 days uh, deferments. Um, some were okay with 90 days. Uh, you know, some needed a little bit more help. Some went back on interest-only payments uh, for another three months to, to you know, get them over the hump. You know, some of them opened yeah. up and they needed, you know, hey, give us three more months so we can, you know, get back to operating at least break even. So we've been working with the hotel clients and, and getting, you know, doing what we can to get them you know, back to where they need to be. Got it, got it, got it. And uh, in terms of the all the PPP money, we keep hearing about that. Did you guys do a lot with that, uh, you know, the PPP type of program that came out under the CARES Act with stimulus? We did, and we were busy for a good two or three months. And we, we kind of shifted the bank operations to focus on PPP. So we did mm -hmm. a ton of it here in South Florida. Um, we helped a ton of businesses and, and everything. We did loans from you know a couple thousand dollars to you know ten million dollars so we did you know all different types of probably most of ours were on the smaller end because a lot of ours were local businesses you know restaurants um you know some of it was real estate you know hotels um retail so we 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 helped out a lot of uh smaller local businesses in south florida and some some medium size as well yeah 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 now um in terms of the stimulus program, uh, you know, the first round of it uh, basically expired related to the unemployment, stuff like that, expired yeah. at the end of July. Are you starting to yeah. see or are you talking to any of your clients who maybe have businesses that are based on consumer spending money? Um, are, are they seeing any impact yet of no more stimulus going out to the unemployed and some of the other uh, PPP type of users? Yeah, I, I think definitely, you know, especially in retail related and all that. But um you know, for the most part, I even those that that did struggle, they're they're seeing you know some light at the end of the tunnel here. Um, things are improving. Um, you know, jobs started to come back, so we did lose a lot of jobs here in the hospitality sector in South Florida. But you know, those are starting to come back again. So you do have a lot of people that were, you know, furloughed or unemployed. You know, that that are working again. Um, but yeah, it's you know the retail. And by the way, retail changed completely. Uh, I think Absolutely. we were pushed for 10, 10 years uh, when it comes to how we shop. Uh, so yeah. that, that's been an interesting outcome of this pandemic. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, now, one of the things that a lot of investors like to talk about is catching a falling knife. Right when this uh, pandemic was first breaking and uh, it was coming out, I made some calls to some of the people I know up on Wall Street as well as up in Connecticut, places like that. And, and, and the, the, the take was, we're not doing anything until there's a vaccine because that's when we're, you know, we know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. We, we, we still want to have a vaccine yet. So uh, I'm guessing, JC, do you have any insight you might be able to provide for somebody who might want to do something, but they're not sure because there's no vaccine? Are they missing an opportunity or should they be maybe, uh, you know, jumping in when others aren't because then you, you 
might get better terms. Anything you might be able to just mention about that in general? Yeah, I mean, listen, it all depends on what you're looking at. But we don't have a vaccine today, but we definitely have a better grasp of the virus. We we know how to we know how to treat it. I mean, I look at, at Day County, which was you know the worst in in the state of Florida, and I look at you know statistics where hospitalizations are at, you know, uh, transmissions, deaths. I, I started looking at all that, and and you know all the statistics you know, are much better than we thought it was going to be. And, you know, yeah. obviously the first responders, doctors, all that, they've done a really great job. I think we, we know how to treat it now, you know, so, you know, our, our, our hospitals were never overwhelmed. Um, you know, people that do go into the hospital are out pretty soon. Um, you know, so, and I think we are going to have a vaccine. I don't know if it's going to be in the fourth quarter or the first quarter and at what time, you know, at what point they're able to scale it, at what point people are comfortable with it. But I think ultimately, you know, if you have an opportunity, whatever it may be, I mean, you, you got to weigh out, you know, what's what's going on, what what sector it's in, um, where, and and just, you know, it, it's almost like a, it's like our underwriting. You know, we got to do our underwriting today a little bit different than what we did, you know, pre-COVID. And, you know, there's just some other factors you got to weigh into making a decision. But, you know, I, I think that there will be opportunities. Um, I think there may be more as we move forward a little bit, um, but definitely I wouldn't be afraid to, you know, to lock up a deal or do something today. Got it, got it, got it. Now, now I also want to ask you about forbearances. Forbearance, um, basically somebody can defer uh, paying their mortgage um, uh, because of the, what was going on with the pandemic under the CARES Act. Mm -hmm. I think originally it was six months if it was a, a federal-backed uh, loan. And then it could be extended yeah. another six months or so in general. Um, uh, yeah. what, what did you see on that, JC? Uh, because I'm reading about how the number of people who are in forbearance is actually uh, it, it's falling relatively dramatically. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was definitely an uptick uh, when it all began, and I think there it was a lot of it was due to uncertainty. We actually yep. had people that re requested a forbearance, and because they just weren't sure. And then, you know, a month or two into it, they were like, hey, we're going to start making our payments again, which I wow. saw that as a positive sign. I saw that as a positive sign. I'm like, well, you know, I think people were thinking it's gonna, it was going to be worse than it actually was. Now, not to say there are some businesses that are still hurting, and they, they will be for some time. But I think, you know, what I saw is a lot more people were asking for forbearances and then realized, hey, we're going to make payments it's not that bad or or they immediately went to making payments right after and didn't ask for another forbearance so uh, you know that's something we definitely saw a lot of now 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 question for you and i've asked some i've asked some people but i haven't asked a banker about this um so if, if somebody generally speaking were to take advantage of the forbearance so say they went six months and they were basically deferring their mortgage payment um i i guess what i want what i what i i can't get an answer to is is that six months they didn't pay under the forbearance is that put at the end of the mortgage uh, term, which if it's a 30-year mortgage, it'd be at the end, or is that something that's due uh, at the beginning of the seventh month? Generally, yeah. So, so I've seen it. I've seen it done different ways. Um, okay. But you know, done correctly, it should be pushed to the back. But what happens if you're in an amortization? The bank's going to take their interest first. So you're not going to start paying yep. down principal until you you catch up, let's say, on the interest that was accrued. So that's one yep. thing. I mean, that's how we did it. Um, but I did see out there that some banks were doing a forbearance for 90 days 
then after the 90 days, it was like, okay, you got to start, you know, you got to pay back your forbearance. And I'm like, well, that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. But um, done correctly, in my eyes, was your your principal, your payments are put in there in at the end of the loan. However, the bank's going to be collecting the accrued interest, you know, until you get basically caught up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, 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 bankers are always cautiously optimistic uh, about a variety of different things, but they also have to take preparation. They have to take steps. I did a podcast uh, a couple weeks back with a, few, a few, couple months back with somebody who basically is an attorney. He's a litigator, and he represents the FDIC when they're going after people who have basically gone bad on mortgages. I'm wondering um, uh, what's going on in the banking industry in terms of in anticipation of everybody who's doing well, if the pandemic maybe, you know, if it doesn't play out the way we expect, if the election doesn't play out uh, the way we expect, uh, uh, you know, is are you or Centennial Bank doing anything differently in, under a worst-case scenario? Because I've heard about some banks who might be basically creating this whole list, and as soon as the six months ends in the forbearance, they're getting ready to start rocking and rolling because they just don't know what the future is going to be, and ultimately they want to be able to get back their money. So any kind of insight you might be able to share about a worst-case scenario? You know, we've we've been monitoring um, our loans since the beginning, and, you know, we've got a good grasp of who may be needing more help when things, uh-huh. you know, are kind of back to normal or who who, with all the help, is still not going to get there. So, you know, we've we've got a good grasp of that. You know, fortunately, you know, for the ones that we have, we don't. I don't think we have a whole lot that are just not going to be able to get through this. We do have some that may need a little bit more help, more so in the hospitality sector. Um, but you know, and in the residential, if you want to get specific to residential, um, honestly, we have very few, if not zero, deferments right now in our portfolio. And it could be just because we wow. underwrote it well going in, um, but. You know, I think the other factor is a lot of these guys, borrowers, have a lot of equity in their homes. So I don't know, you know, typically, you know, we saw a lot of this, you know, in in the Great Recession because people were, you know, 100% financing. So 100% financing in the market, you know, does any kind of downtick, well, you know, you're going to want to walk away. Where today, you know, people are having 20, 30, 40, 50%, you know, equity in these deals and the market's still strong. I, I just don't see how people just walk away. They may be willing to, to sell the property and take a haircut or some of that or get some help from somebody, but I don't see them walking away as much. Like, I just it, don't, I don't see it happening. Yeah. I see. Okay. Um, uh, uh, JC, I guess that's all I have, except I do want to know if somebody wants to get a hold of you or learn more about Centennial Bank, maybe talk to one of your lenders, uh, something related to that, what, what would be the best way for them to reach out? Yeah, I mean, they can reach out via email. Um, and that, that email is uh, jcdeona at my100bank.com, and that's my100bank.com. Okay, and one, one more time, uh, if you can repeat that email. Yeah, yeah. it's jcdeona, so j-c-d-e-o-n-a at my100bank.com, and that's my100bank.com. Got it. And do you guys have any kind of uh, pre-approval type of uh, form on your website where maybe they're, you know, they're somewhere overseas and they say, you know what, this sounds pretty interesting. I might want to do business. Maybe I can uh, pre-qualify myself with them. Do, do you do anything like that at Centennial? We we do. Um, we like to work, you know, human, like uh, kind of like I said before, we're ah. more about dealing with human beings. So 
we can pre-qualify. We do pre-qualify. Somebody wants to buy, you know, a property and they're looking to see how much we can, you know, approve them for. We do do that. We work with them one-on-one and, you know, get all the information and give them the pre-qual. So, yeah. Nice. Well, JC, I want to thank you for uh, participating in the podcast. That is JC DeOnia. He's the visiting president of Southeast Florida for Centennial Bank. As mentioned, uh, his operation has $2.5 billion in assets under control, the part that he oversees. And if you're looking for a loan, you're looking for financing, you have any questions, I encourage you to go ahead and reach out to JC. Now, if you if, um, if you have not yet a subscriber to the Counter Vulture Podcast, I'd encourage you to go ahead and subscribe. If you like what we're doing, please give us a rating. And if you have any comments, please send us a comment to inquiry at condovultures.com. I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. I'm Peter Zalewski. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and ciao, ciao.